Hi there, are you someone who lives out of a country you were born in or do you aspire to move abroad or you're simply interested in listening to heart-to-heart stories from people of different cultural backgrounds? If you are, you are at the right place. Welcome to my podcast, Meet the World With, where every week I talk to a person from a different country who has had an experience in living, working and studying abroad. In this podcast, you'll be able to learn about different programs, job opportunities, tips and tricks, as well here are real life experiences. Welcome to the Meet the World With, and I'm your host, Isidora. In this episode of Meet the World With, you will have a chance to hear a personal story from Lisa Dyatko on seeking a job in the United States as an international student. You can learn how to score a job at Google and what does it take to write a good resume and a cover letter. Lisa and I will speak about her career in cybersecurity and how to be successful at any job that you want to do. Come and hear all about how to get involved and make the best out of your college experience and build a portfolio for your future employment. Please help me welcome to the show, Lisa. Lisa, where are you from and where do you live right now? So I'm originally from Minsk, Belarus, and right now I'm located in Dublin, Ireland. That's awesome. So how and when and why have you decided to move abroad? So somehow I always wanted to live abroad for no particular reason. But then in my high school, I started participating in international Russian language competitions. They're called Olympiads back home, maybe Again, post-Soviet society knows what I'm talking about. But since I got to travel abroad, travel internationally and represent my country, I actually got very interested in foreign service. And I was looking at it as a potential career path. And then I also realized that because of the very complicated Belarusian political situation, I probably don't want to serve our current government as a diplomat or anything related to that. So I figured I'd like to still pursue international relations as Korea back then. Uh, and I figured international institutions might be really good at teaching me those skills. So the first time I applied to go abroad was when I was 15. And I finally left to go study abroad when I was 17. It was for UWC in Hong Kong. Awesome. Awesome. And then after that, um, you graduated from your UWC in Hong Kong. And where did you move after that? Um, So I ended up studying in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. I did four and a half years there doing my bachelor's. I studied political science, econ, and Chinese. And then I did a batch, um, after my bachelor's, I did master's in Washington, D.C., where I did international security and cybersecurity. That, that, that's so cool. That's amazing, <laughs> especially to hear from a woman being interested in that area of studies. It's wild. So I know that you have a pretty interesting story about your study abroad experience while you were still in U.S. Do you care to share with our listeners? Yes, definitely. So even though I already studied abroad in the States, um, I decided to study abroad while I'm studying abroad. So it's like double study abroad. And um, my sophomore year, I spent one semester in Shanghai, China. My junior year, I spent uh, one semester in London, UK. Um, And then my senior year, one semester, I spent on uh, semester at sea where we traveled on the ship and visited 13 different countries. 
That that's that's great. So, um, were those study abroads all directly related programs to to your university, or were they sponsored by anything else? Mm-hmm. Um, the first two programs were sponsored by Saint Lawrence. Um, the program in Shanghai was through CIE, which is an international study abroad program. But Saint Lawrence had um, some kind of affiliate programs through it. So um, I still got to transfer all my courses back uh, to my bachelor's. And it was, again, a part of my Chinese minor. So I got to study that. Uh, London, it was actually our own program. It was only for students from St. Lawrence. Um, it was a very small program. We have our own building in London. And they send about like 20 students a semester to study there. And then semester at sea gave me a lot of trouble. Uh, it was because I graduated from UWC and then we got a special scholarship through UWC. However, St. Lawrence did not accept it as study abroad program, no matter if I studied abroad at all. Like it didn't have anything to do with me already studying um, abroad twice. It just was, was semester at sea not being accepted as a study abroad program. Uh, that added a lot of complications to me planning my graduation. I was, however, allowed to transfer one course back, which was just nice. Not like I did it for that. I had to withdraw from St. Lawrence to go on semester at sea. And then I had to reapply back. And because of that, um, I also couldn't apply for OPT for whoever is familiar with the U.S., um, education as well as the work permits. I could not do OPT because I kind of like this roof from St. Lawrence and I had to be enrolled at American University for at least a year before graduation to apply for OPT. So I had to make a very tough choice. Um, but I said, like, I'm just going to apply straight to grad school. I don't need that OPT year and semester at sea is totally worth it. So. Wow, I, I I met you during our time at semester at sea, and this is the first time I am personally mm-hmm. hearing this story. And that's such a bold and brave move to to get out of your comfort and, and a university and um, withdraw and be so passionate about traveling and learning about different cultures and meeting other people all over the world. That you had to re reapply to to your own. Um, university wow i I had good grades i wasn't worried i'm like they want me back they want me back (laughs) i i think that that's such a bold move like kudos wow wow like i i I did not even know this so i know you when we've heard that you graduated from your undergrads and your postgrads as well and you're currently employed do you want to share with us where you work right now um, sure. I am working at Google and I am in the trust and safety department, which is the most easily transferred as cybersecurity. And I'm happy to chat more about that as well. Yeah, 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 sure. I mean, uh, do you want to tell us like what, what does it mean to, to work in cybersecurity or like take us through a day at work? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So first of all, the reason why I'm doing that, it's not completely out of the blue. My whole family is in IT. So I was growing up uh, constantly being pressured to study STEM, and I never did that. I was very humanities-oriented, very arts-oriented, and my parents almost gave up at me. And then I'm like, boom, Google, like, who gets the best job? I get a best job in my family. Anyway, but... um. Just, again, probably a little bit 
to explain how the transition happened, because probably a lot of people who have humanities degrees or liberal arts degrees, to them, it's something extraordinary to all of a sudden get a job in STEM, not necessarily just at Google, but in STEM. And the transition is possible. So my transition obviously happens through my master's program. I did take cybersecurity courses and I made it my sort of like my major within my international security field. But I think overall, when you take like in liberal arts, a lot of people say like, oh, liberal arts is such a terrible program. You know, you don't really get a job out of it, you know, and that, well, that's what I heard. Like, you know, you don't, you don't graduate, (laughs) you don't graduate with a job. You don't have like accounting degree or you don't have like a medical degree. You don't have a lawyer degree like liberal arts. Like what the heck is that? And then I feel like it's actually extremely beneficial. Um, and my story exemplifies that because you get to take a lot of courses in different disciplines, which kind of lets you maneuver throughout careers and then kind of fit a lot of check, a lot of boxes. So I did take, because it was a requirement, not necessarily, I didn't want to take it. I would still love to take it, but I did take math classes. I did take stats classes as part of just liberal arts requirement. And that came in handy a lot because um, in cybersecurity and I mean in other positions in STEM, data analytics is so important right now. And even if you, I think, work for a government organization, just knowing how to process data is just, it's a skill that almost every job requires. And even though, again, I came from a security background, I was able to do, I had some hard skills as well. And that was enough to get hired. So that was good. And then day in life. Well, in COVID, it's pretty tough. I wake up in my bed, I work in my room, I like rest in my room, and then I go back to bed. Pretty sad. Again, Google has a lot of perks that I'm yet to experience, um, such as, you know, all the offices, free food, blah, 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 potentially massages. Okay, never had that. Um, but um, I would say my day consists of maybe 30% of meetings. Um, the company is very global, so I get to talk to offices in Japan, US. I'm currently in Dublin. We also have offices in Singapore and India. So it's usually also day varies based on meetings with what country you have. So like if you have, in my case, meetings with Japan, I need to wake up early and have those meetings in the morning. If it's in the U.S., sometimes it requires you to stay later than usual because you need to accommodate people back in uh, San Francisco and Mountain View. Um, And in between the meetings, I'm doing my regular tasks. Um, Some of them are pretty manual, just um, kind of like reviewing what People, for example, apply for considerations if they get banned on Google. Um, the most fun part is doing investigations, like, like large scale operations and like finding all the like malicious actors in the network, which is very security related. And like, um, I can go on and on and on about investigations and, like and catching that guys. That's so cool. That's so cool. You're being a <laughs> superhero and then still yet to get from your bed. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's awesome. So, and I think this will be very interesting for a lot of people who are just getting out of school or are wondering mm-hmm. what to do with their degree. And um, thank you for speaking on behalf of uh, liberal arts program and kind of <laughs> shedding a positive light that we not necessarily hear every day, same as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, how was the, the process of, of getting a job in US for you? And how did that look from your perspective? And especially coming from a person of a Belarusian origin, that, that carries a certain weight with that too, no? Mm-hmm. So it was tough. Um, and again, this is very particular to the US, so probably half of your audience who is not based in the US one and said what I'm talking about. Uh, but I'll just quickly run through the timeline that I had to go personally go through, and then maybe some people can relate to that as well. So I graduated in December. Um, and that kind of put it, well, first of all, I graduated in December because I had to take semester off because of semester C, and that's why I didn't graduate in May. Um, in the U.S., you, if you want to stay to actually work in the U.S., not just for one year on OPT, but longer, you have to apply for an H-1B visa. And the year I graduated, they shifted the deadline to the 1st of March. So essentially, I only had two months to apply for jobs, find a job, impress my job, and get them sponsor me an H-1B visa. So I was realistic and was like, I don't think it's possible <laughs> to do all that because usually it takes from year two, if you want STEM OPT to up to three years to kind of put your foot in the door and impress everybody so that they want to sponsor you a visa because it's such a big liability for a company as well. Um, so I kept my options open. I was applying for jobs nonetheless, even though I knew I only have two months. Um, but I also applied for jobs in international institutions such as the World Bank, the UN, where I was previously employed. So I knew I, I have some wiggle room there. As well as I was applying international, I was like, US is not the end of the world. In the end of the day, I can apply to many different countries and then whatever opportunity I get, the one that I like the most, um, I'll go with that one. So I got an offer from Google in early March. I did get offers from other US companies earlier than that, but they did not. They would just say like, you can work for us for a year, but we will not sponsor you. And H1B at least like this March. And then by next March would be too late. So it wasn't really a desirable option for me. I was also interviewing for international institutions, especially in Washington, D.C. They're all there. It was very easy to go to interviews again. Uh, but I got offered a position at Google and I didn't pursue all the interviews till the final stage. I was like, okay, I'm good. Um, I'll just let myself relax from now on because I did get the job that I really, really liked. It was not in the States. It was in Dublin, but I prioritized the job over the location. And I feel like when I get more work experience, I can easily transfer back to the U.S. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's great that you are speaking on on the topic of prioritizing and being um, able to divide your time properly and um, divide and conquer and know what you want and that you kept your options open. And yes, maybe U.S. was the ideal choice. However, you you made a wide, wise decision for your future. And I think for anyone who is currently struggling of what to do, how to do, where to do, and um, with all this new um, regulations with COVID and everything, just that being that hard. Exactly. I think it's a very important thing to, to um, highlight. Um, 
what do you have to advise since we're on a topic of jobs to anyone who is currently seeking a job or trying to to seek a job in the future in in your area of studies Mm -hmm. so i would say research your company really well and your position really well so you know exactly what you're applying for and i know Um, a lot of people apply for many, many jobs and I, I haven't applied for a lot of jobs, but I heard my friends applied for like literally hundreds of jobs. And I feel like in COVID that's especially relevant right now. I feel that makes it way harder to make the resume and the cover letter very targeted to the job. And I think I would actually advise to make it as targeted to the job description as possible, no matter how hard it is, because in the end of the day, if you already put some time into putting that document together, the company will be searching for the best cover letter, let's say. And if, 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 if it's like very targeted to something that the company doesn't do, then you might as well not submit that cover letter whatsoever because you will be disqualified based on that. So my, personal choice was to apply for less jobs but make it very high quality and less jobs i'm not saying like two jobs that would be unrealistic but i'd say maybe apply for like 30 jobs that is allegedly very low number but again every application i submitted was like extremely high quality and that kind of gave me a high return on how many companies um reached out to me i again understand covid you probably want to reach out to as many companies as possible but maybe again um if you like don't really care about the job maybe submit whatever you have but if you like actually care about the job make sure your application is very targeted to the company um then i'd say use your university if you're in a university um so use your university career resources to the fullest Most people apply straight from the university. However, if you graduated, allegedly, like you are an alumni for life, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to career resources because um, American University resources gave me so much. I had so many interviews just because of them. Um, so don't dismiss that at all. I think that's extremely useful. Um, and then I think if you get to the interview stage, make sure that you show your personality and then that your personality fits in company culture that's something very new because obviously it's also more tailored to big companies because if you're a small company you probably just want a worker who does the job if you have a big company and then you have a lot of people who are applying such as google they not only want people who have skills they also want people who are great employees who will link and match really well with others who will be great team players. So try to not just focus on hard skills, try to illustrate this in your interview. Um, I guess be confident, but not arrogant and follow up, uh, be humble, say thank you and just express how much you're interested in the job because According to, again, my career services, not many people do that. So when you do that, that kind of puts your, your application up on the top. Yeah, no, I, I think those are all great advices. And we do definitely need to be reminded to, to be humble and do put time into anything that you're doing, even if you're applying for an internship or a summer program or you're applying for your dream job. 
that little extra step can take you a long way. And since we're talking mm-hmm. about um, writing the resume and a cover letter, do you do you have any um, key takeaways or any suggestions or what you found out that personally mm-hmm. worked very well when you were writing yours? Um, so I'll give some general advices and then the writing advice as well. So first of all, start investing in your career early. Because no matter how well you write your resume, if you haven't done anything in your life, your resume will be empty. So make sure there's actually some substance to your resume and that doesn't necessarily, again, have to do with the writing. It has to do with what you've done in life. That being said, a lot of students in their early years are terrified because they have no work experience. And they're like, what do we put in the resume? We like need work experience to get work experience. How does that work? So the way I see it and the way I was taught, it's not necessarily work experience, it's experience. So experience can be very many different things. It can be volunteering. It can be participating in a school club. It can be playing sports for your university. It can be publishing a research paper. All of that is great experience. And you can easily fill out the whole page just with that, with no real work experience. So investing in in that, I think, is very crucial. Again, from employees probably would be very interested to see the past, like your development through the years. So don't try to overload on all of those activities. Your last year when you're actually looking for a job, it was like, First year, I have done nothing. Second year, I have done nothing. Third year, I have done nothing. Third, fourth year, boom, like all of those things. It's, it's great to see how you've progressed throughout the years and see that kind of signifies to the company that you can develop in their company as well and grow in the company as well. Um, and then um, I would say leadership is pretty important. Any experience is great, but leadership experience is obviously um, extremely valuable and people not necessarily even if it's related to the field like to see people who like to take initiative who like to be supportive to others so trying to indicate and sound sort on the resume is very important and then I would say also not necessarily about the resume but a job application process and all those documents whatsoever um, try to form good relationship with your professors they can be a very valuable resource to help you actually put this resume together, to proofread it, to help you edit a few things, say that this experience is more important than the other as well as they can be your mentors, just helping you throughout your career. And finally, they can be a great resource when a job asks for recommendations or graduate school asks you for recommendations. It's really good too. Keep in touch with your professors, even if you graduated, to be able to reach out and not make it awkward. It was like, hey, I haven't talked to you for 10 years. Would you mind writing me a res- like a recommendation for my job? Um, so I would say trying to invest in genuine relationship with people who are your mentors as well. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing all all the tips and tricks. I think they're so valuable and they clear up so much of confusion that the 
current students might have and the recent graduates for everyone who is still in college key takeaway is get involved and really do get involved um and as you said it can be anything from sports to activities to clubs uh, to different organizations in your school different affiliations be there be present in, invest in your future and definitely think ahead of time and i'm I, i'm hoping this could help to anyone who's just starting or had a awakening moment um i'm really curious to ask you something and i i know that this is only from a female point of view however uh, um do you have anything uh to say to girls who are aspiring to have a job in cybersecurity but are are afraid of the biases or being discriminated mm-hmm. or anything on those matters yeah i would say just don't cut yourself short um i honestly maybe because I'm too oblivious to those things, but I've never felt like I've been discriminated ever. So it's very hard to me to speak on that matter. However, maybe it's because I have such a mindset where I don't necessarily see that I'm inferior to men. And that's why maybe that's why I don't notice if I, if everybody ever treats me that. However, also the way you put yourself out there the way you present yourself well even if somebody has a bias in their heads it will your confidence will shut them down so maybe that's probably why I also haven't experienced it because um the way women present themselves if they enter the room saying was their presence was their attitude i am an equal here i can do my job um then everybody else in the room was like oh they will treat you as an equal as well. So just one more time, just I think no career besides maybe some very like the careers that require a lot of physical strength shouldn't be a limit to a girl. And even if you like go, let's say for whatever other careers, go for it. I think the most important thing is how much you care about it. And if you can succeed in that career, don't go for a career if it's just trendy and it's because it's cool then then it gets more tough however if you're passionate about it if you believe in in yourself if you know that you can make a difference in the field then nobody ever can stop you from pursuing that that that's beautiful that that's awesome <laughs> i i'm glad that we're talking about this on this level i i really agree with you i did not feel a bias ever in my life but i was very lucky to be brought up by um two men in my household who considered me equal um and brought me up with an equal mindset so i this mm-hmm. is a message to all the other girls around the world who possibly did not have um that sort of a mon- mindset ever since they were young girls but go ahead and be confident and you can do it and if you present yourself an equal as you really are nobody else will ever question that and that that's that's awesome thank you for that advice so what do you say that was the biggest reward and possibly the hardest time that you faced while you were trying to do your job um so in my current job and i guess i'll be very quick on this question um the biggest reward is knowing that i'm actually making an impact i always try to go for jobs that where i can have the most impact on the world that's why i tried originally to work for the un for the world bank however i noticed that private sector gets more stuff done 
that's why I kind of redirected my career to the private sector. And I guess the greatest reward I feel is when I know that, like, let's say I found a big network and I know it will have a huge impact on the users online. And like I'm working, for example, with misinformation, with like cyberbullying and all that. And I know just taking all that negativity off the internet or at least off the Google platform will have a tremendous impact on a lot, a lot of people. So that makes me very happy. And the hardest time um, is as a new joiner, I 100% was in the situations when I'm at a meeting and I have no idea what people are talking about. So it's definitely a little intimidating, but at the same time, I realized that I'm probably the youngest of the team as well because I got the job right after school. So those people have a lot of experience. So I'm also not, again, not trying to be upset about it or question myself, but view it as a learning opportunity. And I ask questions when it's possible to do so. Um, and I'd follow up if I don't understand something. And I think that just like helps me grow in my career. That, that's that's great. And I think that that's so useful to to all of us. Um, just learn, learn and uh, overcome and, and grow. And there is no shame in asking. And definitely, I think your attitude is, uh, is the main reason where you are right now, your your willingness to learn and being open to everything ha has brought you a career that you wanted to be in. And that that's, they, that's amazing. If I could advise anyone to take something as a key takeaway besides being involved i think the, the learning part is is the key moment of our talk um so what would you the advice to anyone who is currently aspiring to move abroad or um wants to live or start a program or do something with an international community mm -hmm. i would have two pieces of advice one, it's definitely possible. A lot of people, especially back home, view it as a rich kids thing. Then whenever your parents can't pay for your education abroad, you go abroad, everybody else gets to stay home. So I got, again, full scholarships to go everywhere. So it's possible. It definitely requires more time and effort. However, with enough research, there are opportunities out there. There are need-based scholarships out there. So don't cut yourself short again, just because you don't think you necessarily can afford it. And then secondly, I would say intercultural competence is a thing oh, when you do get abroad. The body language that you're used to, the like cultural signs or anything in that nature, you can completely misinterpret what a person is trying to tell you if you are not necessarily familiar with their culture. I wouldn't advise you to just be fluent in every single culture and every single like gesture whatsoever. Just have your mind open that you will make mistakes. You will misinterpret what people are trying to tell you. And just again, try to learn from it and try to communicate well. Just maybe ask questions like, did you mean this? Because sometimes a person says something and you might be completely confused about what that person just said. Instead of being like, oh, it might be awkward to just ask what they meant. It will be even double awkward if you completely follow up on something that people didn't tell you to do. So I, I think, again, ask questions and have it in your head that Different cultures communicate differently, behave differently, and 
you have to give that a shot and don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Try to put you out there and try to understand people the best way you can. Sure. Is there something you wish you knew before um, you started your abroad experience? Um, that kind of goes as well. I think it's like the most, the toughest moment of my life, as well as a, like a culture shock for me. The term is actually used at Google a lot, but I'll apply to just study abroad in general. It's to have an imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty much for people who don't know, it's um, feeling like you lack experience or you lack uh, competence to do your job or to be somewhere. So I experienced the imposter syndrome and I wish somebody warned me about this imposter syndrome before I moved abroad because I was like a golden kid in Belarus. I had like highest grades possible, you know, like pre- pretty much like not a standard profile of who UWC selects, but definitely a standard profile of who Belarus UWC selects. Like, you know, just kids who are again involved, have a lot of extracurriculars. So I had my seem pretty high up like that. And... I got to UWC and I met students from all over the world that are at least as brilliant as I am and maybe much more brilliant than I am. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, how do you behave in such a situation? Because I usually used to be the best kid in town, you know? And so I was very shocked by that. And I wish somebody told me to keep my expectations very, very low. And I think since then, I'm glad it happened again when I was very young, when I like definitely learned from my mistake to, again, be humble always because there are always people who are smarter than you and it's not a bad thing. Like, again, use it as an opportunity to learn and grow instead of just being intimidated by it. So back then, I was completely mind blown by how well educated everybody was um and i guess even if it's not uwc if you go abroad um i guess another challenge as well as what i wish somebody told me about was just how tough sometimes it is to express yourself in a foreign language um back then it was a huge challenge for me right now it's not i felt like partly why i felt dumb quote-unquote is because it had such great ideas such great thoughts but it was like i can easily express it in russian and everybody would be clapping but i can absolutely not say the same thing in english and i'm using like not as sophisticated sentence structure and people think i'm dumb it's not because i'm dumb it's just because it's my second language and i can't be as fluent and proficient in expressing my thoughts and ideas and i was devastated the first year I was in UWC that because again in Hong Kong, it's, I would say 80% were native speakers because it's Hong Kong, Hong Kongers, uh, par- a huge part of people who actually go to UWC there. And then others would be from the Commonwealth, from like Canada, Australia, England. And then there was like me from post-Soviet Union. So again, um, even not like education wise, but language wise, I felt like I don't belong. I had that imposter syndrome that I don't speak as well as everybody else. But then again, it was like, hey, like I speak like two other languages on top of English and I aspire to learn more languages. And this is the only, well, not in terms of Hong Kongers, but let's say like others. A lot of people do only speak only one language. So every time a student or anybody who goes abroad feels unconfident about their language, I feel like they should remind themselves that 
the only reason they're not as perfect in that language is because they speak other languages as well. No, I I I feel you on that one, and I, I felt <laughs> I'm thinking about all the times when I I wish I could remember a word or came home really mad at myself, and then sat down and started reading and translating books and like re-downloading all of these apps to try to help me expand my vocabulary and practice, and then a lot of times, and especially in in your major, you had to take intensive writing classes, and you know what it means when you have the great idea and you want to write a paper but for your peers who are native speakers it will take them two hours for you it might be two days but it, it's a work in progress and um, definitely that is something to keep an eye on and uh, usually do I do advise anyone to to look back where you were two months ago or two years ago or I, I mean in the beginning of your life where you were destined to only speak one language and right now you speak three, four, five, or I, I've even mm-hmm. read someone the other day wrote a post in one of the groups that they speak 17 and I was mind blown. But wow. <laughs> that's crazy. So since we spoke about a hardest moment, what is the best moment of, of living abroad? And I know this is gonna be so hard for you to pinpoint one, but I'll pick a combo. So it's like two in one. So I would say learning from people who surround you and specifically gaining new perspectives. Because when you just live in your own country, you're in a bubble, no matter what you're in a cultural bubble, you're in a friend group, you're only exposed to a degree of perspectives that's out there. And every time you go abroad, you realize how big this world really is and how differently people think and some ideas that I would never even consider on my own or like my friends or family would never bring something up somebody else who I met abroad would present that idea would be this is brilliant I've never heard of that and I feel like again it helps me grow the more people I meet from no matter like what country they're from there's definitely something to learn in every culture and from every country that's perfect. So we're slowly coming to an end. And then I have this set of <laughs> questions that I'm asking everyone. So I'm asking you to, what is your current jam? And what are you reading right now? Um, so I've been a fan of Lana Del Rey for quite a long time. So I'm not necessarily, when I talk about music, it's more about music. I wish it was also about people's personalities and like a role model but i guess we're talking about the jam so i'll pick lana del rey and most currently i'm also listening to billy eilish so like her and um about the book i am reading eat sleep innovate book um i participated at an innovation challenge at google which was a very open-ended competition in our team to come up with like how you can innovate something that you're using day to day and just to make your and your colleagues life easier and it was something again that it wasn't a part of the job but it was like super fun to think of creative ideas and then as a reward um to put I won, by the way, but that's not the point. <laughs> uh, I'm very then, proud of you. I <laughs> had no doubts. <laughs> I'm very competitive. But as a reward, uh, we got to pick a book 
the winning team got to pick a book of their choice um, to kind of like get more into innovation because every company, no matter how successful they are, they need innovative minds. So I picked that book because it teaches you how to be creative in everyday life. It's not necessarily like one day a year you're trying to think how to be innovative. It's about how to like find passion to challenge everything around you, not necessarily in a destructive, negative way, but kind of like questioning every step of your day, of your journey and seeing how you can improve it. And I think people on personal level can definitely benefit from it as well as companies who have those employees with such a mindset can definitely benefit from that as well. That's amazing. Um, thank you for a book recommendation. Sounds like something <laughs> you really want to read right now. Thank you for being so open and willing to speak about your experiences and your job and a job hunt and giving so many great insights and so many great advices for anyone who is currently struggling with finding a job or moving abroad or um, just struggling with writing resumes, going on interviews. I think you have such a great perspective. I wish you all the best on your path and I'm so excited to see you in some new challenges I, I'm really looking <laughs> forward to see how you're going to win even more thank you thank you Isadora if I may um you just brought yes. something up and I don't want that to be that it is definitely a 90% takeaway because I have a, like a success story so to say but I know how challenging the times are so not everybody will get the jobs they want right from the front a lot of my friends in the same university in the same major are like leaving the us without a job and that's okay too so i don't want the people to have a takeaway if you follow the steps you 100 going to succeed you're not necessarily going to succeed right away so again don't challenge yourself too much definitely positively challenge yourself but if something isn't working out sometimes it's good to like take a break have a big breath and then continue moving forward like little take backs setbacks not gonna completely like destroy your future so just again don't be hard on yourself if something doesn't work out the first time you try it because it's very very tough I times agree. right now thank you for highlighting that and if anyone goes to like our 20th or 20-ish minute when you said that you've learned from even your failures and experiences i think this really highlights that and definitely it's a learning opportunity and it, in the end of the day it is what it is we need to readapt and keep on moving forward definitely well thank you so much Isidore that was much fun Yay. Saturday well spent <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you 